Today on Stick to Football, we continue our divisional previews. Today, we're giving you the AFC South as well as a sneak peek at our top 15 big boards for the 2021 NFL Draft. So get your pen and paper out. If you're like me, you're going to want to take notes on this one uh, or maybe listen to it at regular speed, not that one and a half speed that you crazy people people do. do it. I don't know how they do it. I just sit here and laugh when I hear our voices like that. If you want a real kick, listen to us at half speed. We sound incredibly drunk. It sounds like the old Stick to Football Fridays. Exactly. Where we were (laughs) actually drunk. (laughs) Right. It sounds like. So if you missed the old days, uh, just uh, listen to it at half speed. Uh, We are going to have a long show for you guys today. So buckle up. This is one that this is not a toilet listen. This is a drive on vacation listen show. So uh, enjoy this one. A lot of news out in the world right now, guys. We are sitting here Thursday morning. And last night, Wednesday night, it really started yesterday afternoon when uh, the NBA shut down again. We saw it again this time because of the protest happening in the state of Wisconsin, uh, namely in Kenosha, Wisconsin, following the shooting of Jacob Blake and following a shooting by uh, allegedly, we still have to say allegedly with him, uh, even though it was on camera, uh, a 17-year-old named Kyle Rittenhouse where he uh, shot and killed two people and injured another. And folks around the NBA, especially the Milwaukee Bucks, this is their home state, they decide, hey, we're boycotting, we're not playing. The Orlando Magic match them and actually leave the court and say, we're not playing. And we saw, guys, that trickle-down effect of uh, the Lakers not playing, LeBron James being very, very vocal about this, and and other players, Chris Paul, the head of the NBA Players Association, you know, leading this. And then we also saw several Major League Baseball teams not play on Wednesday night. And today, Thursday morning, we're seeing uh, several, not all, but several NFL teams decide not to practice the Washington football team, ironically enough, being the first to say, hey, we're not going to practice today. Uh, The Jets have decided not to practice. The Colts have decided not to. Those are the three teams as of right now, guys, that have decided they're not practicing. And we actually saw the Detroit Lions do this, I believe, Monday morning when they said football doesn't matter right now. These other things happening in the world matter. And I understand that we're going to get a lot of one-star reviews after this episode today. And I understand we're probably going to lose listeners. We're going to lose Twitter followers. And I'm here to tell you that those things do not matter to me. Because at the end of my life, I will not sit back and think how many one-star reviews did Stick to Football get versus five-star? Or how many Twitter followers am I dying with? But I can guarantee goddamn you at the end of my life, I'm going to look back and say, where was I on this? You know, Mello... Our mother lived through the Detroit race riots and raised us to speak up for people, uh, to use our platform to defend people who needed defending. And Connor, I know those are values that you share with us. And as we posted together as a group Wednesday night on Twitter and on Instagram, we will not be sticking to football when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to equality. Black lives matter. That should not be a controversial political statement we've met you guys out on the road from stanford california to london england to tuscaloosa alabama and i hope one message that we've shared with you guys over the past few years doing a podcast hanging out with you on tailgate tour is that we actually love all of you and we want you to be treated equally as i as i wrote wednesday night none of us knows the fear of walking to the mailbox with your id and your cell phone as some black people have to do because they're afraid I've never been pulled over and been afraid that I was going to be shot. I've never uh, felt like I have to overcomply with officers because I was afraid I was going to be shot. I don't have to teach my son 
that he has to act a certain way so that he's not shot. He can play with a toy gun in our backyard, and I don't have to worry about him being shot. We are privileged as three uh, 30, 20, late 20 to mid 30 something white guys doing a podcast for one of the largest sports media companies in the world. We have a privilege, but we also have a platform and it is our responsibility, in my opinion, to use that platform. So to those of you who need to hear this, we are your ally. We are listening. We don't have all the answers. We want to learn, but we stand with you and we will not be sticking to football. Yeah, and I, I think that sums up exactly what we wanted to say here today. And you're right. Who cares about the one-star reviews and the listeners? I think a lot of people need to open their eyes. I think there are a lot of people who have made this argument, even with the Black Lives Matter. It's about right versus left in politics, and it's not about that. Uh, I'll be open and say I lean very far left. But I've got some really good friends that lean very far right or some listeners that we've interacted with at tailgate tour that I know have a different political view than me. This isn't political. This is right versus wrong. You have to stand up for your black friends and family members because they're not being treated the way that we are in this country. And until they are, you can say all lives matter. And yeah, they do. But the black lives matter has to come to the focal point of what we're talking about here. Their lives matter just as much as everybody else's. And we need to lift them up and do our part as white people in this country, because we've been sitting back for too long thinking this will get taken care of. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night. It was four years to the day that Colin Kaepernick started the protest. And we're still doing this shit and it's not working. So we all need to do our part. Uh, you know, not just, oh, black people are going to go out and protest. We all need to be doing something. And here at Stick to Football, we are going to use our platform. We are going to use our voices uh, to push these narratives. Because honestly, when is this going to stop? If not now, when? Absolutely. I mean, silence speaks volumes. And we're not going to be silent. It's as simple as that. This is a show that, it sure, it covers the NFL. Sure, it covers college football. And, and it meets in the middle and covers the NFL draft. That means we cover majority of black athletes. Black athletes are the reason this show exists. And those black athletes are the reason why, you know, people care so much about football and the draft. And if we can't stand with them right now, then why should we exist? You have to speak up for these things. I'm not going to sit here. and, And like Matt said, we know what's coming. You know, sometimes they go to my inbox. We're going to get one-star reviews. We're going to get hateful tweets, hateful messages. I don't care about any of those things. That doesn't matter to me right now. It doesn't matter to me, honestly, ever. And if you don't want to listen to this part of the show, even though you should, then then skip ahead or don't listen at all. But this is, this is, Matt, this is sports right now. For those who are saying, you know, I only want to listen to this show, because I want to listen to sports. This is sports going on right now. There were no NBA playoffs last night. There was baseball games canceled. As we do the show, football practices around the NFL are being canceled. And rightfully so, because this deserves the full stage. This deserves our attention. And for the people that sit here and go, what does this accomplish? Are you kidding me? The whole world is looking at this right now. It's getting the attention of politicians. It's going to get the attention of owners. It's going to hopefully have owners listen more in these leagues and hopefully influence change, right? So when you look at the and hopefully bring teams together 
Because sure, I could talk about football, and a majority of the league is African-American athletes. It's not the same for baseball. It's not the same for hockey. And some of those players probably feel alone, and they shouldn't feel alone. And I don't want anybody that listens to this show, that's come to the tailgate tour, that's come to events at the Bleacher Report office, to feel alone, to feel like they're a different part of the Stick to Football audience. Because that's not what Stick to Football is about. It's not what it'll ever be about. Stick to Football is one. So if you don't like this, then maybe you're not a part of it. But we're going to be here for those that do need us right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say before we transition, so you guys, if you've been speed listening, get ready because we're going to talk football now. The last thing I'll say is this is the peaceful protest that a lot of folks have wanted. Where we live, you hear that all the time. Why can't they just protest peacefully? Colin Kaepernick did, and these players are now. And we have a chance to peacefully protest on November 3rd. Whomever you feel like voting for, what I would say is if you're over the age of 18, please exercise your right and your obligation to vote and vote with your conscience, not your party. I say that as someone who I'm old enough to have voted now for both parties. I've I've voted Republican. I've voted, voted Democrat. Vote with your conscience, not some obligation to a team that you want to see win. So that's where I'll leave it. November 3rd, you have a chance to peacefully protest and hopefully uh, we can bring about some changes that need to happen. All right, now on to the football. And I just want you both to know, I love and respect you so much. I'm glad that we can have this conversation. So not on to football yet. The fact that we can sit here and have this conversation and use this platform for good and that there's no division, there's no, eh, maybe we shouldn't do that. Having the courage to stand up and say, we're going to get one-star reviews. We're going to lose followers. This is more important. Thank you guys. Okay, now on to football. I promise. We're actually going to do it now. Uh, okay, some injuries. There's been uh, a couple. Basically, if you are a good young safety in the NFL, watch your legs because there have been some problems over the last watch week. Watch your fingers. Right? No joke. Uh, Grant Delpit, hurt. Xavier McKinney, hurt. So two big guys whom we really liked in the 2020 draft class. Xavier McKinney, uh, I had a... Uh, I would call it a, it's not a late first round grade, but I had him in the 30s, early 30s in terms of where he was ranked. Grant Delpit, we've talked about ad nauseum, uh, a player who fell throughout the process due to uh, some lack of effort, I think at times, you know, lack of, of burst, but two nonetheless very good safeties. And now the Browns who, I mean, Greedy Williams is hurt for the Browns as well. It just seems like, and we expected this because there wasn't that ramp up period. We expected a lot of injuries. Unfortunately, we're seeing them. And it sucks for these two guys. Uh, they were going to play really vital roles on their defense, even though they're rookie safeties. Uh, I mean, you look at Grant Delpit. I think he was going to play a huge role in trying to slow down Lamar Jackson. I think that he was drafted with that in mind of, we have to beat the Ravens to be able to contend in the AFC. How are we going to do that? I think Grant Delpit was going to be that guy. It sucks to see him go down with the Achilles injury. And then, like you said again, Xavier McKinney, another guy that I was really high on. Uh, I, I guess I would have had like a second-round grade on him, but a lot of that was positional value. I didn't miss the number two safety in that class and a draft pick that I really liked for the New York Giants. It hurts for the Giants because this is a player that I thought was one of the most pro-ready players in the entire draft. And for the Giants, a young secondary that is now leaning on more back into the depth chart players when you lose a DeAndre Baker, this was somebody that was expected to come in and make a big impact. And I thought from definitely from a mental standpoint, an IQ standpoint, he would easily fit right in. And he has more than enough physical talent where that wouldn't be a problem either. I just thought he would have been a rock solid rookie at safety for the Giants. And obviously, 
this puts a huge dent in it. For Grant Delpit, you know, there was definitely more questions up in the air than a, a player like McKinney. You know, Delpit is a little bit more volatile of a player, but he was expected to start, and if he could have got back to 80% of the form that we saw as an underclassman, uh, he would have made a difference for the Browns as well. So these are both big-time injuries. Now, what I will say for both teams is, if you're going to lose a starter out of position, probably want it to be safety. Tony Jefferson is still out there as a free agent, and I know he's going to start taking visits soon. Earl Thomas, which is a little bit more of a riskier play, but he's out there as well, and not by no means is he uh, washed up. So there are options out on the market to go solve your starting safety problems. Yeah, you would uh, like, especially the timing on this. The season starts two weeks from us sitting here today. I don't know if you need a veteran that has hit you guys like two weeks. You got two weeks before the season starts, so there is going to be a little bit of pressure on these guys, but. I know both were penciled in as starters. And so that is a huge blow for two teams that I don't know that we have big expectations for the Giants. Sorry, Pat Chamberlain, but we do for the Browns. Like that team needed to play better this year. New head coach coming in, Baker Mayfield, uh, now in a spot where we need to see a bounce back. And the defense was an area uh, when we, uh, I can't remember now if it was on Stick to Football, when we did our preview of them, it was like, Man, like this, this is a team that should be better. I apologize. It was not on Stick Football where we previewed them. When we do, I'll tell you, my biggest concern is that young secondary and them having to step up as well. Now, fellas, another name, and I don't remember where anyone was at on this, so I'm not like throwing shade. I'm not. I remember fun. where I was. Okay. Kalen Balage was cut by the Miami Dolphins. And a guy being like a fifth round pick getting cut is never something that we're going to be like, oh, fourth round, excuse me, fourth round pick. <laughs> we're never going to be like, oh, fourth round pick got cut. But this is important because I have never in my life seen a player get more hyped off of one game in college. That I mean, he rushed like 140 yards with the Dolphins. I mean, he was not good. But one game where he had like seven touchdowns. Seven touchdowns. Seven touchdowns is that what it was? And it was like five rushing, two receiving. It was just absolutely crazy. Seven touchdowns rushing, one receiving. He had eight touchdowns in a game against Texas Tech. There it is. 2016 against Texas Tech. He rushed the ball 13 times and had seven touchdowns. And, and everyone that, loved him. After that, it became like the analytics Twitter and like athlete Twitter. It was like, oh my God, like look at his body and his frame. He was compared to Fournette. Yes. 6'3", 230, he can catch. Only had eight touchdowns in a game. Mind I, you, he never did anything after that game. In ever. college or pros. Right. I hated him. And I hate is a very strong word. I hated the attention that he got. <laughs> I never thought he was a special player. Even when he was drafted, I was like, ooh, this guy's getting drafted. Like, did anybody watch any games outside of that Texas Tech performance? Which I don't know they did. I think everybody saw the upside of him rushing against an absolutely terrible defense. It's like, this is going to be the next guy. And you see it on draft Twitter all the time. People want to be the first person in on somebody. And I think that Kalen Balage was that guy for a lot of people. It was early in the season, and everybody just started writing this guy like he was going to be something special. It sucks to see him get cut. You never root for that in somebody's career. But this is another guy, kind of like my Cole McDonald argument, where I'm just kind of tired of hearing about it. It's another one for Kalen Balage. Yeah, I mean, it, the hype was crazy, right? Of course, like you said, the big college football performance, Matt, that's always going to happen to these players. You know, he did fall to the fourth round, I believe, pick 131 in the draft, which was still a little early. I actually had to dig back, dust off this 2018 <laughs> NFL draft mega doc. 
I didn't. Ha- I ranked thir- only 13 running backs that year. Didn't have him in there. Uh, and I did a top 100 that year and didn't have him in there. And it's it's not to say, oh, look at me. I was right. It's just that when the scouting process came about, there's a million people like us that were just like, eh, I don't think he's actually that good. Right. So, And I'm pretty sure he went to the Senior Bowl that year. And it's hard to stand out as a running back mm-hmm. at the Senior Bowl, but just not much there either. So uh, it's a good, um, you know, kind of case study of, you know, trying not to fall into one game hype traps with prospects they could definitely be super dangerous yeah traits matter to the traits extent that they business. back up like the production backs them up you know and Kalen Blage had four 100 yard games in four years of college like that's not good and so honestly like he should not have been a fourth round pick and I'm only bringing this up because it, like Connor said that 2018 draft class Everybody was on this dude of like, oh, not everybody. I apologize. Some people were on this guy of like, oh, my God, the potential is just crazy. And even to the point of like every time Miami added a running back, people like, yeah, but Kalen Balash. And now uh, he is cut. Also, the Dolphins cut Curtis Weaver, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, really. I don't believe. But someone had a lot of injury and conditioning questions coming out of Boise State. He gets cut. The Browns pick him up, and now he's going to have season-ending surgery. So Curtis Weaver basically taking a year off, which I do think will be good for him. His production in college was crazy. I could not find senior year burst on his tape. Yeah, he was beat up a lot at Boise State. It's crazy that they had to cut him, essentially, to put him on the IR. and then Yeah, because he's not a tenured player. You can't, yeah. It is weird. I had a lot of people ask that, like, why didn't they just put him on the IR? Well, you can't because he's not a tenured player. You have to just slide him. You got to cut him. Sneak him. You sneak him through. Yeah. And then hope to but get him back on the waiver It's a good little sneak job by the Browns, though. A like, good job to pick him up. Like, you're yeah. not using a draft pick or anything on him. So, kudos I said the same to you guys. Thing. I, the Dolphins may have been able to trade. Well, you can't trade an injured player. Never mind. So... In Madden, you can. So that's what I would have done in Madden. I would have traded him that way. Uh, Okay, guys, one more thing before we get to these big boards and then the AFC South preview. The Washington Post on Wednesday unveiled more allegations against the Washington football team, some of them this time uh, directly naming owner Daniel Snyder in these allegations. Now, that is a story unto itself, right? Like, oh, this time he's being accused of like calling over a cheerleader and telling her to go have fun in his private box with a team doctor. That's a problem, right? That's a huge problem. Or that uh, videos, illicit videos were being made for him. I don't, I don't want to use the wrong words, but they were doing like calendar shoots where obviously the girls are pretty revealed, but they even made comments about how they felt so secure and everything with what was happening. Uh, But then uh, the creeps behind the scenes are taking video and putting it out there for team personnel for, I think even Dan Snyder was named in that one. And then the, the guy that did the radio for them, it's, it's a sickening situation where just more and more shit keeps coming to the surface here uh, in Washington. And I hope that they can get things lined out. It, it seems like they made some really good hires with their new VP. So a, a sickening situation. It's terrible that we have to come on here. This is like one of the worst parts of the job that we do. Every once in a while, something like this happens, and you have to come in here and talk about it. You have to read about it. You can't ignore it, but hopefully we can get things lined out in Washington. And I I think that maybe you just have to force Dan Snyder out. So I don't see a world where he can stay in that position. I mean, so here's my problem with it. And I'm not a lawyer uh, at all, but I don't understand how Daniel Snyder can hire a lawyer to investigate allegations against him. 
and then come out in the media on Wednesday and put out a statement saying, this is a hit job by the Washington Post. By saying that, you're saying that you don't believe the allegations and you're hiring the investigator. Tom Brady may or may not have let a couple ounces of air out of a football and they swooped on him like Watergate. I mean, they were investigating this thing up to Congress damn near. But Daniel Snyder is maybe having uh, tapes made of cheerleaders changing and he gets to hire his own lawyer. I don't understand, guys, how an owner is not subject to the same scrutiny as a player. I mean, think about Bounty Gate, Deflate Gate, all the gates in the NFL. Think about them and how much we've seen the NFL investigate those things. Even Ezekiel Elliott. Zico right. Elliott, where there was like some really serious allegations against him, the investigation there is completely different than what Daniel Snyder like, did. Even keep it in house with the Patriots. Tom Brady got investigated more than Robert Kraft did. Yeah, over oh, the massage thing. Yeah, yeah. different oh, yeah. kind of balls, but yeah, you get what I'm going. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I just you know I wanted to bring this up. We had a good iTunes review um, this week from a user named CJ, and, and he one. said. Is Washington, yeah, right? Is Washington trending in the right direction? He goes, you know, huge fan of you guys. Um, recently, you know, Washington made history hiring Jason Wright, and he, he goes on to discuss all of the issues and how, uh, you know, Matt has said many times it's it's been a disgustingly run franchise. But does it feel like things are finally starting to change? As much as these stories keep coming out and it's horrible, and as much as I do not believe in Daniel Snyder, I do think having Jason Wright as president is a huge sign of change. Maybe Daniel Snyder just completely steps aside from all team operations now. And, and and Ron Rivera is somebody that can, you know, change a franchise as quick as anyone. So those two moves to me, to answer CJ's question, absolutely. It's trending in the right direction. I just do kind of side with Matt here where, you know, obviously, Mel, you feel the same. It's very frustrating that Daniel Snyder seems to be able to still own this team without repercussions, without, you know, an a real investigation of, you know, a lot of the problems. So it's I'm a little conflicted personally right now. It's weird because Washington, as I said, they were the first team to say, hey, we're not practicing Thursday. We want to give our players time to talk about this. They hire a minority coach in Ron Rivera. They hire the first African-American team president in Jason Wright. Julie Donaldson, a female a senior VP of media and content. I wonder how she feels today. You know, like they have made those hires that you want to see. Yeah. But the owner remains a piece of shit. I, and I would say they are definitely trending in the right direction with all the hires you just talked about. It's just their past that keeps coming up to the surface where you have to go back and talk about it. So hopefully uh, with what they're doing, and I I love Jason Wright and what he's done. I, I don't know if you guys have seen any interviews with him or if you have any he's relationships good. with him. That dude's really got a good head on his shoulders, and I would trust him with my football team. So if I'm a Washington football team fan, I'm not jumping ship just because Dan Snyder. I'm hoping that Dan Snyder's out of there pretty soon, and this football team can continue to go in the right direction, which I think they're on. I think they're on that trajectory. Like I said, it's just the past that keeps coming up to haunt them. You know, Connor and I have a lot of experience with bad owners, not to this level. So any fans who need us to like hold their hand, we've been there, guys. Like, oh, yeah. Jed us. York moved the San Francisco 49ers to Santa Clara. Pull up a map. Let me tell you, you're going to need to scroll like they're they're not even close to San Francisco. So uh, we got you. Any fans that need a hand holding. Do they still show like the Golden Gate Bridge during 49ers? Yep. <laughs> 
right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you drive an hour and a half north, this is what you would <laughs> Guess see. Guess what's over there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just That's so great. It's so bad. That would be like that would be like showing Philadelphia during a Jets game. Like <laughs> right? that's the time that's the yeah. time range almost. Absolutely. Like, oh, here's the Rocky statue. Like, why are you showing <laughs> me this at a Jets game? Like, yeah. I don't understand. Or even like nowhere being in, close. Like, Buffalo and showing Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh I don't understand it at all. Hey, we're at a Cowboys game. Here's the Alamo. Um, yep, it's just that's Jed York for you. Uh hopefully he still listens. Jed, we love you. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna unveil those top fifteen big boards. We are back, and it is so, so close to draft season. There's actually football on this weekend. I don't know if everybody, like, I keep forgetting that there's football on. Like, there kind of is. Uh, SMU <laughs> plays. They have a Shane Bichelle, and they have a receiver. So, I I at least know that I have to watch two players this weekend. <laughs> Put your scouting goggles on, right? boys. Give me Woo-hoo! something. Give me something here. I need, I need to watch football badly. So, we're going to give you a little bit of a teaser of our big boards. I don't know what content Mello and, and Connor have coming. Uh, my first mock draft actually drops very soon. September 7th. Uh, first so, mock draft of the season. Okay, mine drops September 6th. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yep. But it would be hilarious. I mean, go for it. You know? Do it. We, I'm sure that mine will get just as many views as yours. We will. write for different outlets, so it's not competition. I mean, usually you just look at mine anyway. That's so. true. Yeah, it's like, Mello, let me have your mock draft. There are going to be people who believe that. You say things like that. Being like, yeah, hey, uh, I've been living with it all the time. People always come at me and be like, oh, well, we know you just took Matt's shit. Like, no, I do not. Uh, no. I actually pride myself on not looking at your stuff. And I will say, I've only read about 10 of your articles in your entire life. So. <laughs> yeah. Dating back to Saul. <laughs> We're in high school. Okay, number 15 for me. Uh, we're going to give you this in, in groups of five. Number 15, Javon Holland, safety from Oregon. He is my top safety in this draft class. Number 14, Devonta Smith, wide receiver, Alabama. Number 13, Sean Wade, corner at Ohio State. Number 12, Justin Fields, quarterback, the Ohio State. And number 11, Sam Cosme, left tackle, University of Texas. Now, notably, Ohio State and Oregon aren't playing this year, so Justin Fields... Sean Wade, Javon Holland, we're not going to get to see them play. Yeah, and I have a, a group of people that are very similar. You talk about your number one safety in Javon Holland. I have him as the number two safety in this class, and I really like him. But number 15 for me is actually Andre Sisku out of Syracuse. I really like what he can do over the top. Uh, He's a turnover machine. Even when he was hurt last year, the guy can just go after the football. So I really like him. Number 15 for me, Andre Sisko out of Syracuse. Number 14, Sam Cosme out of Texas. Another big tackle who's just very athletic. Uh, It's not even biased because I usually hate Texas guys, but I think he can be special. Uh, number 13, Rashad Bateman, uh, the Minnesota receiver. You know how we love Minnesota receivers on this podcast. I really like what he can do. I even have him comp to a guy like Michael Thomas. Number 12 is where I kind of have a tie between 12 and 13. I have Jalen Waddle. I think that he can be really special. Uh, he was just stuck. He was buried on a depth chart last year, and I think that he has his chance to shine this year. And number 11 is cornerback Sean Wade, where I actually have a tie with him in number 10 right now. Uh, but Sean Wade, corner out of Ohio State, won't get to see him play this year. Uh, but I, he is a player that I really liked last year. All right, let's get this baby going here. Number 15, Devonta Smith. I think that's a name you're going to hear a lot on this show going forward after hearing it a lot last year. Uh, he's just phenomenal and, and one of the more complete receivers I've seen in this draft. 14, Gregory Rousseau, the do-it-all rusher from Miami. Seen him at nose, seen him on the edge, five tech. Very curious to see how he projects to the NFL especially after we just won't have a huge sample size of tape besides the one great 
um, year last year. So number 13, Patrick Sertain, the the second uh, long corner that we'll get to see play at Alabama this year. He's phenomenal. I think he could very well end up being my number one corner. But right now that goes to number 12. That is Caleb Farley on this list. Another long corner with really good speed, really good ball skills. I'm curious to see if you know if he gets jumped just because he's not playing this year, but the tape he has out is phenomenal. And number 11 is Trey Smith, the guard and tackle from Tennessee. Uh, you know, one of the players that can be all over the place in this class because he really has top 15 talent, and everybody will want to monitor those medicals after some missed time during his career at Tennessee with blood clots. But you turn on the film, and, and this guy... Uh, he has Quentin Nelson performances at times, to put it quite simply. And I know that's that's the highest praise you can give probably to a guard. But when you watch Trey Smith, everything checks out as a player. We just need to see if it checks out from a medical perspective. Hey, Mello and I were actually talking about Trey Smith before we recorded this morning because I, I really like him. I do. There are performances, as Connor said, where he's just dominant. But the, Against it, Alabama. Yeah, it's just the injury questions. Like, that's it. If the blood clots and the conditioning, if those get answered, cool. First rounder. Yeah, I, I think so too. I Every time you mention Trey Smith, and he's a guy that I really like, Connor, I do feel like you've been higher on him than even we have. Uh, last year I had a Tennessee fan come at me because I had Trey Smith listed at guard. He's like, you fucking idiot. Trey Smith is a tackle. Like, have you watched any Tennessee <laughs> football guard. this year? <laughs> you watch your own My team. man moved to guard. Like, I like him. I'm talking about him positively on Twitter. He's a guard, though, and he's a damn good one. Yeah, he really is. He and Wyatt Davis. Uh, fortunately, we don't get to see Wyatt Davis play at Ohio State. That's That would have been a fun, really fun battle to watch and see who kind of emerged as that top uh, guard in the class. All right, number 10 for me, Dylan Radens from North Dakota State, which, we're hey, they're playing a game against Central, <laughs> Arkansas. Central Arkansas. So, going to see that. Number nine, corner Alabama, Patrick Sertan, the second Number eight, Caleb Farley. Uh, he is my top corner from Virginia Tech. He and Sertan, obviously, very, very close to my board. Number seven, that's where I have Jalen Waddle, wide receiver, Alabama. Uh, this dude is just a yards after catch god. We've talked before about like maybe Rondale Moore gets the Tyreek comp. I think Jalen Waddle might be closer it's to special a Tyreek. team player, too. He was a very good punt returner in the SEC. Yep. I am a huge fan of his. And with Waddle, it's so fun to be like, I want to put you in an NFL offense right now. Like, please let me put you in Pittsburgh. Let me put you in Kansas City, Seattle, Baltimore, somewhere where they're going to like create space. The Chiefs will draft him the, the Rams. The Rams would be good. Yeah, I don't love Baby Gruden, as, as Mello calls him, but the Rams offense would be a perfect fit for him. Uh, Cardinals don't need him, but that'd be fun as well. And then my number six player, that's where I have Gregory Russo. I mean, Cotter said it well. One year of tape, that one year was exceptionally dominant, and I love the versatility. Uh, a lot of his stock is going to be, is he cemented where he would have been You know, last year? Like the last time we saw him play, that's what he looked like. That's who he is. And a lot of people keep asking us, how much will draft stock float this year? Really don't know. This is unprecedented. We're going to kind of have to wait and see. But Russo, who has opted out, he's already declared for the draft. I'm a huge fan of the raw tools that he brings to the table. Yeah, I agree, and I have him lumped in this category, too. Number 10 for me, this is where I have Caleb Farley, and like I said, I kind of have a tie between him and Sean Wade. Neither one of these guys is going to get to play this year, so I, I think they're going to be kind of tied together for a long time, but I do like the size and the ball skills. Have him comp to Marcus Peters. Feel pretty good about that one. Number 9 for me, I'm probably going to get some hate for this one. 
Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. I think that when you turn on the tape, you see a very dominant guard. And thanks to Quentin Nelson, guys that play this position are going to be drafted high in the first round now. I think that you see that when you have guys like Aaron Donald disrupting from the interior, you need a Wyatt Davis, you need a Trey Smith to come in there and solidify it. So I have him at number nine, followed by Najee Harris at number eight. Very high for a running back, but I think that he's a complete back. When you look at his size, you look at how he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I really think that Najee Harris has the potential to be a special running back, to be up there as a top 10 draft pick even. Number seven for me, Gregory Russo, like you guys talked about, just a complete player. I wish that we would have saw him come back this year. I would have loved to have seen what he could do in the ACC, how many sacks he could get after his 15 last year. Uh, but he makes the personal decision he's going to opt out this year. I think that he's a very special player. And number six for me, my number one corner in this class, I love Patrick Sertan and, and what he can do. I've been on this guy since he was a freshman, and I flirted with Caleb Farley for a while, but I'm going back to my guy, Patrick Sertan. I don't think that he's as athletic as a guy like Caleb Farley, but his anticipation of routes and being able to jump the ball is uh, up there. Uh, it's special. And he has the ability to come play against the run. I mean, he took over that Minka Fitzpatrick role when Minka left and went on to the NFL draft, except for he can be a shutdown corner, uh, whereas Minka plays safety. Number 10, you heard Melo mention him, Wyatt Davis, the guard from Ohio State. I mean, this guy is a complete guard. I mean, he could be playing in the NFL today. He really, really could. I'm excited about him. It's not often that before the season you come out and go, hey, this is a first-round player on the interior of the offensive line. Wyatt Davis is exactly that. Number nine, Pat Fryermoth, the tight end from Penn State. I mean, this tight end class between him, Kyle Pitts, Brevin Jordan, these guys are special players. And I think Fryermoth right now stands uh, at the top of the pack as a pass catcher. He's just tremendous. So, um, number eight here, Travis Etienne. I love this guy. Speed absolutely kills, and this guy has it. He really does. He's got the CJ2K uh, kind of speed. I think he runs very, very hard uh, after contact, and he showed that he's getting much better as a pass catcher, which was the big question mark on his game. So, you know, him and Najee Harris and, and even Chuba Hubbard, to an extent, I thought didn't need to come back to school. And we'll see how they finish their college careers. It'll be very, very interesting. Number seven, Jalen Waddell. I'm with you guys. I'm so high on this player for somebody that wasn't even a starter last year. It just feels like he could already be better than Judy Ruggs. Uh, you know, obviously love Devonta Smith, who who was 15th on this list. But Waddle is so explosive. And in today's NFL game, teams are just going to be dying to get this guy on their team. And the last one uh, on on this little mini list here, number six, Justin Fields. So obviously I have him number three amongst the top three quarterbacks, but number six on the list, a lot of praise. He's got all the talent in the world. Would like to see him clean up some little things, you know, holding on to the ball a lot. I think he was playing hurt down the stretch last year. It's a shame that he doesn't have a season now because I think he's somebody that could have made possibly, you know, the number one jump in this entire class. He has that much talent, but right now he sits at number six for me. I think that's something important to talk about. Uh, Justin Fields, Mello, unless he's in your top five, didn't make your top 15. Is that right? He did not. I have him at 18. Overall. So you have him at 18. I have him at 12. Connor has him at six. I don't want to get, and we're going to, I, I would love if we could live in a world where we didn't get the, you guys hate Justin Fields. No, no, no. To have a quarterback with a first round grade, that you like that player a lot. I believe he can and be a starting NFL quarterback. I'm hard on quarterbacks. I know that a lot of people and not trying to talk shit or anything, but a lot of people will say quarterback's so important. I'm going to move those guys up my board. 
I, I don't view it that way. So, like, I have him as my number three quarterback. I think he's a first-round quarterback. I think he's a quarterback you can build your franchise around. I haven't put that kind of grade out on a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, notably, hated a lot of them that were coming out. But I do have Justin Fields number 18 overall, but I do like the player, and I do think he can be a franchise quarterback at the next level. All right, we are going to finish off this top five now, guys, and I'm excited because whew, we are going to get uh, some hate on this, I think. Number five for me, Micah Parsons, linebacker, Penn State. Uh, watching him yesterday, I actually like was kept yelling at Mello, like, yeah, look at this, yeah, look at this. He can do everything. And I, I do think there are times where he's he's anticipating and not reading, and you'd like to see that cleaned up. Unfortunately, there's not a season for that. I think he'd be a little over-aggressive, but I still see just the speed. He's so, so good in space, but he's big enough to play in the middle. He can rush off the edge. I mean, watching the Ohio State tape yesterday, I mean, he's going out and covering in the slot at times. He was effective in spying Justin Fields. He can really do everything. So Micah Parsons at number five. Number four, Penny Sewell, the top offensive tackle in this class. I love everything about Penny. Uh, the power, the athleticism, the footwork, lateral movement, the awareness, the football IQ. If there was anything that, I guess, concerned me a little bit, I think his hand placement can get a little bit too wide at times. But again, that can be cleaned up. I'm sure he'll be working with the best offensive line coaches over the, the course of a non-season now. Number three, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. I've said it before, first time I watched him play, I thought he was like 6'4", 220. And uh, realizing that he's not, you know, it was like, oh, he's 6'1", 208. That's shocking to me. He's going to run a 4'4 flat. He power cleans 330. And he is just exceptional. And the, the people at LSU that we talk to, they say that he's just a great human being as well. Like, he gets it. He wants to work. He's a leader. So, love Jamar Chase. Number two, Trey Lance, quarterback, North Dakota State. And I am in love with this kid. Uh, we're only going to get to see him play Central Arkansas, I think, this year. But the level of competition is the question mark. But if you just watch the, the tape of 2019, he was unstoppable. Like, just completely unstoppable. No interceptions. Believe he accounted for, like, 48 touchdowns. It, it's just, it was crazy. 42 touchdowns, excuse me. It was crazy. And if you haven't heard it before, my comp for him is Deshaun Watson, but he might be faster. I mean, it's just, it's special. Level of comp is a question. Only one year as a starter. That's not his fault, though. Like, the, the, the pandemic is to blame for that one. So, Trey Lance is two. And then Trevor Lawrence is one. I'm not as excited about Trevor Lawrence as I probably should be. Uh, all my scouting friends tell me I'm crazy because I've poked a lot of holes in Trevor Lawrence's game. Like, ball placement concerns me a little bit. The fact that he's not been statistically dominant concerns me a little bit. When I watch him play, there will be like six or seven plays where it's like, oh my God, yes, yes, this is it. And then there are a couple throws where I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Now, I think he has all the physical traits. I think he has the football IQ. I think that's all there. We just need to see him maybe mature a little bit and grow into a player. But I'll tell you, headed into to junior year, I think that Trevor Lawrence has a chance to fall back as much as he has a chance to solidify. We've seen it before. Guy goes into his junior year, and you're like expecting great things, and they, they just completely fall off. Now, I don't know that Lawrence is – he's not Christian Hackenberg, right? He's not going to forget how to throw a, a bubble screen. But I, I don't think Ugh. that he's this god of prospects that everyone thinks he is. I was going to say, you talk about guys going into their junior year who have kind of fallen off. Justin Herbert was a guy who came in and was like, oh, this is going to be quarterback one. Josh Allen was another one who had a lot of hype around him. And then they both get drafted very high, but not as high as we expected. And I'm definitely not comparing Trevor Lawrence to either of those quarterbacks. Just a scenario that we've seen before. 
Matt, I have the same five guys as you, but they're in a different order. I do have Micah Parsons as number one. I think that he is a do-it-all linebacker. He does have some situations where he's trying to guess too much, and I think that puts him out of position. But I, I think that's something that he can work on with a good defensive quarter, coordinator at the next level. Uh, he's going to be a D coordinator's dream. Uh, he really does it all. 6'3", 245. We've seen a lot of good linebackers over the years. Like I've said, he has less question marks than any of them so far. So he's number five for me. Number four is where I have Jamar Chase. Uh, so far, I think that he's wide receiver one. Probably would have been wide receiver one last year as well. Uh, hopefully he's able to have a good season at LSU. Uh, a lot of new pieces there. Uh, you lose Joe Brady, you lose Joe Burrow. Hopefully he can have another good year. Hopefully he can stay healthy though. And, and I think that he can be a complete receiver. Plays much bigger than being six foot tall. Runs good routes. Uh, very quick runner. I like him a lot. Wide receiver one in this class. Number three for me, this is where I have Trey Lance. And I'm glad that we'll get to see him play one game this year. But it's really just going to be a showcase. Uh, maybe they go and they run up the score. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but like you said, Matt, it's not his fault that he plays at North Dakota State and that he's not getting those D1 looks. But this is a very good quarterback. And if you put on the tape of him, you're going to fall in love with him. And a lot of it is that he's playing at that lower level, but he's dominating that lower level. And I love your comp for Deshaun Watson. I'm probably going to steal it too because I do think they're really similar. (laughs) Trey Lance is thicker though. I I think that's going to be the difference maker. When you look at Deshaun Watson, even when he was coming out, it's like, ooh, this guy's so thin. How's he going to be able to handle the NFL? He's doing it pretty damn well, but Trey Lance even thicker than Deshaun Watson. Number two for me is Penny Sewell. I think he's the most complete tackle that I've ever seen. I think there's a really good chance he gets drafted first overall. And maybe even by the end of the year, he takes that number one spot for me away from Trevor Lawrence, uh, who I do think has been anointed to this position where he's supposed to be the perfect quarterback. He's not. He's a special quarterback. I think he's the best quarterback in this class. But he's not perfect. There are a lot of holes in his game. I think that he takes some throws that he probably shouldn't. He overthrows some throws that he shouldn't as well. But I do have him as the number one player on this board. The difference maker between me and for Trevor Lawrence and Penny Sewell is positional value. I do think that quarterback is still the most important position. And I kind of have these guys tied right now. So Penny Sewell, number two, Trevor Lawrence, number one. All right, I like it, guys. Obviously, you know, not a n- not very different across the board. These guys are just phenomenal, but minor uh, differences here and there. So, number five for me is Jamar Chase. I just love watching this guy play. Uh, I mean, he's going to be a special player at the wide receiver position in the pass happy NFL. Number four, Micah Parsons. Thought you guys broke it down really well. He just changes the game on defense with his athleticism. There's really nothing he can't do. I think we just want to see him do more of certain things, right? And and once again, obviously, that's not going to happen until he's in an NFL training camp. But I think he has all the talent in the world to be a really good cover linebacker. I just don't know how much examples we have of it right now. But I mean, if I have him fourth overall, I'm betting on him to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL very, very shortly. So number three, Trey Lance. Man, I mean, this is just the perfect quarterback for today's NFL. The the movement, the accuracy, everything you could want, he's got it. I think the only question we have is, can he do it when the game is faster? Can he do it against top teams? Can he do it at the NFL level? With all of us having him in the top five, this show is telling you, yes, he can. So we're really excited for Trey Lance. Number two, Trevor Lawrence. 
I love Trevor Lawrence. Seen him do it on the big stage. I completely agree. Uh, inconsistencies have existed in his game. With that being said, young player, hardworking player, leader, as much physical talent as you'll see in any human being in any draft at the quarterback position ever. 6'6", 220, good runner, missile of an arm. And he's had that since he was 17 years old. I think Trevor Lawrence can clean up those consistencies and be the special quarterback he's been anointed as. Number one for me, the player I view as the best player in this class, a franchise player, and I'll go out and say it, and it's a dangerous thing to say, I think he's a can't-miss player. Penny Sewell. I think when you look at him play in both sides of the game in terms of run blocking and pass protecting, he's been above and beyond in both areas. He moves well for his size. He has good size. He's almost flawless in pass pro. He's only getting better. I think he plays with an edge. I think he obviously works really hard. He has a good body type for an offensive lineman. I love Penny Sewell, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. This is a really good offensive line class, right? Like, I didn't have other tackles. I had two guards, but I didn't have other tackles in my top 15. But I have other tackles in the first round of this draft. Probably three other tackles in the first round of this draft. But Sewell is so good. I'm very curious to see how the NFL will value him for those teams picking in the top 10. Sewell is interesting because the three of us can sit here and all have him in their top five. And they, oh man, love this kid. I've talked to scouts already who are like, hey, you probably want to get down on him because, and this is their words, not mine. I disagree. Uh, the play power is an issue. I, I've said this before. Go back and watch Auburn. Watch him against Derek Brown. Play power is not an issue for me. I think that he just sometimes gets labeled because uh, Oregon Pac-12, they're soft. I don't think he is, but that concern is absolutely out there. So something to keep an eye on. But those are our top 15s. Let us know what you like, what didn't you like. You can tweet us at Stick to Football or leave that in your Apple Podcast review to try to uh, outdo all the one stars we're going to get after today's episode. We'll be back right after this, breaking down the AFC South. It is a jam-packed stick to football today, and you get more now. We're going to break down the AFC South, gentlemen, and we start with the Houston Texans, who I think people forget they won this division last year, but then were bounced from the playoffs. The Houston Texans, uh, they bring a lot of people back. Notably, DeAndre Hopkins is gone. In comes David Johnson. In comes some draft picks, but this is still it's Deshaun Watson or bust for this team, barring an addition like an Earl Thomas in free agency, which could still happen. But, you know, like I like this team. Uh, I do feel like Bill O'Brien is a little like a poor man's Bill Belichick in that sometimes what he does as a general manager, I think hurts him as a coach. And I do think he's a good coach getting this team to win a division last year. I, that was a surprise. And so I, I do think that they're going to be competitive in a very good division. I have them at nine and seven and my breakout player. This is a hard because it's a team that's largely offloaded, you know, some young players to get veterans, or to get draft picks, but I like Justin Reed a lot at safety. I think we could see him emerge and be that next, you know, Justin Simmons type guy that, oh man, like he's good. And then boom, he has that breakout year. So keep an eye on Justin Reed. I know Tyron Matthew has spoke very, very highly of him. They were there for a year together. Obviously his brother, Eric has had a very good career in the NFL. So keep an eye on the former Tar Heel. I like this team apparently a little bit more than you guys. Even I think that this offense probably has some holes 
uh, but they at least filled them with veteran spots. Obviously, losing DeAndre Hopkins really sucks, but I think Deshaun Watson is going to take another leap this year, and I think Brandon Cooks is a guy who can benefit from that. And they have a lot of receivers that need to stay healthy, but I think Cooks has the best potential for me to take away a number of those targets and kind of establish himself as that guy with Deshaun Watson, who I'm expecting to have a big year. And this offense might not produce at the clip that you think that it's going to, but I still believe in this defense. I do think Bill O'Brien is a good football coach. I think they can get a lot of takeaways in that secondary. And when I look at the schedule, it starts off, and I'm not going to lie, it's rough. You got, obviously, our home opener at Kansas City. And then you have Baltimore, then you have at Pittsburgh, Minnesota. That's a tough four-game stretch. After that, I do think that it gets a little bit easier where you get teams like Jacksonville, you get the Detroit Lions, uh, you get maybe a Chicago Bears team or the Bengals in there. I think they can still be really good. I have them going 10-6 and and uh, probably winning this division again. I'm a little different than you guys on this one, and I just think they've lost a lot of talent as much as I love Deshaun Watson. And I think the other teams in this division have added a lot of talent. That's the frustrating part. When I look at the Texans here, I still think the offensive line has question marks. I think losing DeAndre Hopkins is going to be tough. There's no doubt about that. Now, if anybody can make something out of nothing over and over again, it's probably Deshaun Watson. I don't think this is a bad football team by any stretch of the means. They have a lot of talent on defense, but... Once again, they just feel very middle of the pack. I have them at 7-9. and nine. I'm not a huge Bill O'Brien believer, which is my ultimate problem in all of this. Now, I think as the state of the franchise, because they have such a special young player at quarterback, they are in good hands. But I'm just not believing them making another playoff run. I think they really need to supplement this roster and get more around him. Now, for my breakout player... The only reason he hasn't been a 1,000-yard receiver yet is because he hasn't stayed healthy, and that's Will Fuller. And I just feel that at some point, luck has got to bounce back this guy's way, and he won't get hurt or won't miss a ton of games. So DeAndre Hopkins is gone. The target share goes up for Will Fuller. If he stays healthy, this will be his first 1,000-yard season. Man, I hope so, because I drafted him in like all my fantasy leagues. And I know no <laughs> one cares about that, but I'm really hoping that we get a breakout year from him. That's my... Fingers, fingers crossed there uh, if we can see that happen. Okay, how about those Tennessee Titans last year? I mean, they were the surprise of the postseason, even having a lead in the AFC Championship game. The move to Ryan Tannehill midseason changed the offense. They'd opened things up. Mike Vrabel is one of my favorite human beings in the entire world. I think he's a dang good coach, and I have them winning this division next year, not just on the back of Derrick Henry either. I think we continue to see my guy A.J. Brown break out, and I think we see Ryan Tannehill be that, not just a manager, but be the quarterback that they need. I have them at 10-6, and six, taking the AFC South. My breakout player, guys, Harold Landry. I think we started to see that last year to where, like, you know, real football fans are going to say, like, oh, Harold Landry already broke out. May have, but I think we see him get on a national level of recognition. Nine sacks last year. I think we see even more now that he has a little bit of a better defense playing around him. I love this secondary. I love the way they play ball. And, and I mean, I just think that entire linebacker core is one to keep an eye on. And I'll go right into that one, Matt, because I actually think that Rashawn Evans is going to have a breakout. And, you know, these are big name prospects that we've kind of been waiting for. But I think with Rashawn Evans, another year being healthy, 
third year in this defense. I do think that we see him emerge as one of the top linebackers in the AFC. I think that he's a really good player when you look at him coming out of Alabama. Uh, the athletic ability, the size, the strength, the play instincts, they're there. And guys that are in front of him, like a Harold Landry, like Jeffrey Simmons, uh, potentially Vic Beasley, maybe if he decides to play, uh, are going to be huge for these guys. And you also have protection on the back side with Kenny Vaccaro. I think that the Titans can be really good again. They scare me in the AFC. Uh, as a Chiefs fan, I said last year, there's one team I don't want to play. It was the Tennessee Titans. I still think they're going to be really good. I, when you look at their schedule, I think they're going to run through some teams literally with Derrick Henry, and I have them finishing 10-6. and six. And I look at this team to face a little bit of regression, honestly. And I, I don't think by any stretch in the means a huge dip back. I just think when you look at Tannehill – I think things are going to come back to earth a little bit and teams are going to realize the identity of this football team, right? And and some, like Melo just said, will not be able to stop it, right? You look at it, you know it's coming and you can't bring Derrick Henry to the ground. The, the run blocking's too good. I'm just not a believer that we get another 22 touchdowns and six interception season out of Ryan Tannehill this year. I, I think the turnovers will jump up a little bit. I think they'll be asking him to do a little more. That completion percentage will dive back down to earth. So that's my big question with this football team, besides the fact that they are in a little bit of a transition period on the right side of their offensive line. Uh, that's going to be interesting to watch as well. I have them at 8-8. Eight and eight. By no means, this is a competitive football team. A couple bounces can go their way and where they go 9-7 and seven or win 10 games or the opposite way, they win 6 or 7 games. My breakout player is Jeffrey Simmons. When he came back last year, he looked like an already broke a player that's breaking out already. Now we get to see in the full stretch. He's really, really good. And this front, as you guys picked players from it as well, can be really, really good. Yep. Jeffrey Simmons uh, was one of my favorite players in that draft class. And he is a, he's a grown man coming out of college. He was ready to go. All right. The Indianapolis Colts, a lot of changes. Phillip Rivers comes in. Uh, they draft Jonathan Taylor. This is a very, very good offensive line. I think some people say it's the best in football. I disagree with that. I think the Baltimore Ravens have the best offensive line in football. And Saints. then there's Saints. Yeah. Then there's some conversations after Cowboys. that. Yep. I don't think it's Indianapolis. Quentin Nelson. Amazing. The rest of it. I'm okay with it. It's okay. But I do think, guys, the breakout player for me is Marlon Mack, who we've had on this podcast before. I saw a lot of slander this summer of Marlon Mack. I think people are just a little too excited about Jonathan Taylor, and they forget that last year Marlon Mack rushed for 1,000 yards, added eight touchdowns, and was pretty good out of the backfield when given those opportunities. I think he saw a step back there. But I'm a Marlon Mack believer. I know there's been some issues like can he stay healthy? He's never played 16 games. I think he has a chance to break out this year in a COVID-shortened preseason. I don't know how ready Jonathan Taylor is going to be to start taking a lot of the market share from him. So I'm still a believer in Marlon Mack. I think he has a big chance to break out this year. I am not a believer in this team, as Mello knows. I think Phillip Rivers is done like D-U-N, done. I think we saw it last year, and people are like, oh, the offensive line's better. It is a little better. The receivers are a hell of a lot worse. You don't have Keenan Allen anymore. You don't have Austin Eckler. You don't have Mike Williams. You don't have a sometimes healthy Hunter Henry. Like I would take the, char the Chargers skill players over the Colts skill players 
every day and twice on Sunday. I just do not think that this team around him is so magical that we're going to see the return of, you know, 2017 Phil Rivers, where last year the turnovers were just astonishing from him. I think the arm shot. So that's my Chargers take. I'm an eight and eight or Colts take. I'm an eight and eight. And my take on Philip Rivers is that he's not going to have to do that this year, that he is going to be able to give the ball to guys like Marlon Mack. And then I do agree with you. I think eventually as the season goes on, Jonathan Taylor starts to take more of those carries, but Marlon Mack will have his chance to uh, keep that job. I was going to say earn that job, but I think he's already done that. So he'll have the chance to keep that job early in the season with a lot of carries. I like this Colts team. I do think Papa Phil can come in and get it done. Uh, I don't think he's going to be chucking the ball down the field too far, but they've got a lot of guys that can do damage underneath. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton's been there for a very long time, is a special player. I'm going with the receiver out of Ohio State that I absolutely loved last year. Struggled to get on the field at times. Did not have a great season. Uh, struggled to stay healthy. Paris Campbell, though, is a special athlete. And I think if you can get him involved uh, in the slot, you've drafted a guy like Michael Pittman. I've already mentioned T.Y. Hilton. I think that this is going to be a special player who suffered injury last year, didn't get on the field, is going to this year, and I think that he can have a huge breakout performance uh, and maybe even be one of the top receivers on this team that is pretty loaded at receiver. Uh, when you look at the Colts, though, this schedule is going to be tough for them, too. This is a tough division where I, I think we're going to have a lot of teams, as you guys can probably figure it out. A lot of teams right there in the mix, three teams there. But I have the Colts finishing 8-8. Eight and eight. I think that's a pretty good season. They're on the right track. Get a good young quarterback in there eventually, and this is a team that's set up for future success. This is my bell of the ball of the division. I like in this division, this is probably the first one I think we we disagreed a little bit. I feel like we were very eye-to-eye <laughs> across the NFC East, the AFC East, obviously the NFC South. This one for me, and as you could hear with all our records, it's very close. It can be decided by one or two games. I have the Colts at 9-7. and seven. I like the changes they made this year. I do kind of side that Phil Rivers is definitely getting close to being completely done. I think he has enough in the tank for one more year because of this offensive line, because of the coaching staff, because of a very run-heavy scheme with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. And my breakout guy is Michael Pittman that I hope can be his new kind of Keenan Allen-Mike Williams hybrid, right? This big-body target that can go win you the football for a quarterback that has lost arm strength over the years. Getting Defoe, it's a big move. This defense is going to be better. This is a football team that, you know, Chris Ballard's an old-school kind of guy. He wants to win games in the trenches. They're built to do it. And I think when you look at this division right now, I can't say the same about those other teams. I think the Titans are definitely the other team. They're built to win in the trenches. Like I said, a little transition period on part of their offensive line. But I think the Titans and the Colts are really going to be head-to-head in this division. And I think Indianapolis can come out on top again. It really almost feels like the Pac-12 where everybody's just going to beat the shit out of each other. Cannibalize yeah, themselves. Close. As we, as it's close. As we've real said before. Close. The one team Besides... that Yeah. The one team that won't be <laughs> the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, uh, I, sorry, I don't think they're necessarily tanking, but I don't think they're necessarily trying to win. You know, it's like, right. eh, we're not really trying not to. It's like uh, married people will get this. It's like, you're not not trying to get pregnant. But you're not trying, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah. if it happens, it we're happens. not preventing. Anything. Right. And I feel like that's Jacksonville with tanking. If it happens and we get the first pick, we're going to be OK with it. Right. Uh, they still need to move Yannick and Gakwe. They need to do a couple things. But 
I just don't think they're going to be very good. And I actually like, I like the Gardner Minshew story. I mean, it's a little tired with the jorts and the mustache and the headband, but like it's fun and Jacksonville needs that, you know, like it's kind of a counterculture place anyway. So like, it's cool, but I just don't think it's going to be that good. Um, I would love to be wrong because I, I really do like some of the things that they've attempted here. And I like this player who's going to be my breakout guy, DJ Chark. And not just because I get it stuck in my head and I sing mm-hmm. DJ Chark don't to the baby shark. <laughs> it works. It flows perfectly. But I do like him. <laughs> like really good. <laughs> thank you. I liked him at LSU a lot and think that he could be a breakout guy if we get some consistency from the quarterback position, which, again, Minshew wasn't terrible last year. He was better than Nick Foles. So I think that we could see DJ who has, you know, he has length, he has size. We could see him do even better than the 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns that he posted last year. I just don't see a lot happening for this team. I have them at 4-12. and 12. You know, despite having, again, players I really like. Josh Allen, uh, Caleb Von Chason. Like, they have a lot of players that I would have said that were like my kind of gold star guys. I, I just don't know that I see the overall vision right now. Yeah, and I'm going to predict them to be very bad. But if you're a Jaguars fan, that's very good. Because you do have a good young nucleus. And my breakout player is going to be Josh Allen. Uh, he quietly had 10 and a half sacks last year. And I think another year with this guy, uh, I don't know if Yannick Ngakwe is going to be there to be across from him, uh, but I still think that they can get after the quarterback with what they have. Bringing on Chase on, I think those are two really good bookends for your future. Yeah, Obviously, C.J. Henderson, I was high on him. I like what the Jaguars are doing. Uh, They're trying to rebuild this team very quickly. They keep drafting guys that I like. I'm not in love with Gardner Minshew, but maybe – you can catch a guy in the sixth round who can be a good, suitable quarterback for you. Or maybe you go 13, 3-13 and 13 like I have them predicted, and you can get a quarterback like the ones we've talked about. I think there are three really good ones in this draft class, and the Jaguars have set themselves up to take one of those guys, whether they did it on purpose or not. They are going to be in a position where they can take a franchise-level quarterback and not have to live with sixth-rounder Gardner Minshew. I feel like Gardner Minshew is going to be the new Fitzpatrick. Where he like yeah. wins you just enough games to keep you out of that territory. I picked them to win three games as well. My gut tells me they're somehow going to sneak into five or six win season. Uh, but my brain, when I actually did the full NFL season schedule picks, only had them at three. I, I think once again, they're in a transition period. I like the picks they've made on the defense. They have a really, really good linebacking core across the board. All three guys that'll start um, are real difference makers in my eyes. I just think that the offensive line, eh, not good enough. I like DJ Chark a lot, and my breakout guy is D.D. Westbrook just because I think the opportunities there, but I don't think they're souped up with weapons right now to push this offense over the top while the defense has a lot of young players in key spots and it's going to be tough. So Jacksonville, you know, prove us wrong. We'll see. We've been very wrong about teams before and and we're obviously uh, zeroing in on them as one of our, our draft darlings this year, but maybe we'll be wrong. Yeah, that's what makes this job fun is that maybe we will be, but uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch the AFC South again. The Texans kick off two weeks from the day we're recording this Thursday morning. Who do they play? Uh, the some team in Kansas, in Kansas, I believe. Oh. Actually, uh, let's take a break. We come back a couple of your draft on draft questions to close it out. It's draft on draft time, and it might sound like today we've been 
popping tops. We haven't. Uh, it's 10.15 in the morning here, but thinking about it. It's been that kind of week. First question from RB. Who's the best player you've ever scouted that you felt could have went to be a successful in the NFL following their freshman season in college football? Can I answer before you guys take this one? Because sure. uh, there's one answer, and it's Adrian Peterson. Mm. I think Adrian Peterson's first game in college, it was like, Yep, he's going to be good. Like, I'm done scouting him. He's the best running back prospect uh, ever. He's good. I think you're right. That one wasn't, I wasn't going to say that one. I was actually going to say the Ohio State defensive ends. Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, and Chase Young. And maybe not after their freshman year, but like their first full year as a starter. It's like, this guy is ready for the NFL. He has a prototypical body. He has the the strength and the speed to do it. So the three of those guys, watching all of them, is like, why are they playing for three years? They could easily be doing this in the NFL. The one that I literally said it was Leonard Fournette. And you know what's weird? I... I'm in this dynasty draft right now, so I've just been like in stat nerd land for literally weeks because you get eight hours to pick. So this draft has been going on my entire month. Yes, which is it's wild. But besides that, it's crazy. So um, Leonard Fournette like had a sneaky, really good year last year that nobody talks about. This is true. Like he caught 76 passes, which is like it's crazy, right? You look at it and it's like, wow, who would like who would know that he had almost 1700 yards from scrimmage. So, you know, at the time that was wrong. Fournette was probably not ready for the NFL for a lot of reasons after his freshman season, but he is turning around his career at age 24 and I don't think anybody talks about that yeah uh I agree with that I like Fournette uh two other players since I'm a little older than you guys Joe Thomas was one where the tackle yep the the tackle where it was just like yep he's gonna be good that was like 2006 or 2005 so it was you know I wouldn't even say I was doing this professionally at that point I was like dabbling in this kind of learning how to do it Joe Thomas was uh definitely another and then um, I actually thought Calvin Johnson was that way. And he was kind of buried at Georgia Tech where you didn't get to see the stats necessarily. But from a physical standpoint, because like to me, it's that. like The physical beating that you're going to take as a pro player is why like we need guys to mature a lot of times. But like Adrian Peterson, Joe Thomas, Calvin Johnson, they were grown men at 18 years old. They really it was like, were. You look like an NFL body. You're ready to go. It's going to be okay. Um, it's not so much the, uh, it's like the mental stuff. No, it, it wasn't. It was all body with them. They were absolutely there. That's a good question, though. That's that's a very fun question. Uh, all right, one, two more. David John Meyer, what are some of your fantasy football sleepers for this upcoming season? I think Connor just gave you his, uh, was Leonard Fournette. I actually like that one a lot. Uh, Will Fuller was one of mine. I tried to get Fuller in every league I'm in because I do think that they have to throw the ball to someone, and if he could just stay healthy, I think he could be a fun sleeper. I've told Melo this. My sleeper, I thought I was so smart. It was like, my sleeper, Kyler Murray. I'm going to get him in like the 10th round. Kyler Murray was going off the board in like the fourth round. So oh, apparently he's not a sleeper because it's like, oh, this is, I'm so smart. Nope, I'm not. Yeah. It's like the Broncos Drew Locke thing. They're so underrated that they're overrated. Yeah. Kyler Murray is that in fantasy football. For me, it's Deontay Johnson, the Steelers receiver. Uh, and I've went bold take. I actually think he's going to establish himself as the wide receiver one with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that Ben Roethlisberger is going to look at this guy and be like, this is, this is Antonio Brown all over again without the headaches. Uh, and that's not against Juju. I think that they've got a really good, strong receiver room. But I do think that Deontay Johnson is a sleeper who I think you're going to get wide receiver one type 
production out of. And then another one tied in Mike Gusecki with the Dolphins. That's your guy. Is a guy that I've been targeting in every mock draft that I've done or every real draft that I've done. Because I, I think that the targets there in Miami are kind of limited. You see guys opting out of the season. You see guys coming back from injury. I think Gusecki could see a lot of targets as the tight end in Miami. Just from the the drafts I've done and seen, uh, I've seen Julian Edelman being really undervalued. And if you're in a PPR league, I mean, he's a monster. It doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter that Tom Brady's gone. I know there are some numbers that indicate Cam Newton doesn't utilize the slot as much. Julian Edelman is the guy with that team right now. So if, if people really sleep on him, uh, Scotty Miller, we've talked about before, I think can have a really big year in Tampa out of the slot. Brady really, really feeds the slot time and time again. It sounds like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is really turning it around in Eagles camp. That'd be great. Uh, a, a player that we really liked, right? Yeah. Like, we really, really liked him. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a bigger year than Jalen Rager this year, Arcega-Whiteside, with the way he plays and, and the fact that he's already got a year on that team. So, um, you know, it's it's a great question because you never know how your leagues are going to draft, right? Like, if you're in a, in a league with Cowboys fans, like CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup are not going to be sleepers. They're going to be overdrafted. But if, you know, it just depends. But um, those are some of the guys I've personally noticed that are just falling down the board this year for whatever reason. But they're they're productive players, especially Edelman. Last one from our guy, Andrew Magnuson. Rank your confidence levels in the sophomore quarterbacks for 2020. Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Gardner Minshew. Uh, I would put Kyler Murray at one, and I would put uh, Daniel Jones at five. Uh, I think Locke at two. Wow. Haskins at three, Minshew at four, Jones at five. Until he can hold on to the football, it's just going to be really hard for me to believe in him as a starting quarterback. So I'm going to go a little different. I think Murray won. I've seen what he can do, and I liked what he did last year. I'm going Drew Locke at number two. Uh, I do still think that he's going to have a big season, maybe not the MVP level what that he has are around him is just so two nice running backs, too. two tight ends, yep. three receivers. Uh, if that offensive line can just give him a couple seconds, uh, that offense is going to be really special. So Drew Locke, number two for me. Number three, I'm going to go with Daniel Jones. I think that if you can fix uh, turning over the ball, which it wasn't a lot of interceptions, it was actually a lot of fumbles, I think you can fix that. And you can maybe you know just give those guys that little hand-strengthening tool, just let him do that all summer. Maybe he doesn't turn the ball over as much. Teach him how to protect it, and I think he can be pretty good. A little grip thing? Yeah. I need one of those. Number four for me, I'm going to go with Minshew. Uh, and number five, Dwayne Haskins. I don't love what he has around him. I don't love the offensive line. I like Terry McLaren. That's about it. Adrian Peterson is 45 years old. I don't know if he can continue to get it done. And you know, honestly, with Haskins, I wonder if Alex Smith is eventually going to take this job, if Ron Rivera is going to look at him and say, Oh, I, I want the veteran that knows what he's doing, that can take care of the football. And if it looks like Alex Smith is healthy, I think that we could see him start the majority of games this year in Washington. I think for me, it's not that different. Kyler Murray, definitely number one. I think number two for me would be Gardner Minshew. And even though I just picked the Jags and win three games, <laughs> I think, yeah. I think Gardner, Gardner has enough around him, and Gardner is not really going to be the ultimate problem. He, he's just kind of a middle-of-the-pack player. Uh, three, I would go with Drew Locke. I'm not the biggest Drew Locke believer, but I think that offense is so loaded that he should be fine. And four, I'd go Daniel Jones. They have some tough games. I still think the offensive line is going to be a problem. 
I, I don't know. It's tough. Evan Ingram never stays healthy. I think Daniel Jones is in a tougher spot than a lot of people realize. And number five, the player that's in the toughest spot, I like Dwayne Haskins better than all of these guys not named Kyler Murray. I really do. I don't think I say that enough. I don't think he's in a good position right now. The line stinks. The running backs stink, and they're ancient. The tight end position, we don't really know much about right now for them, which is not good. I love Terry McLaurin and think he could be a top 10 receiver in the NFL, and it wouldn't shock me if Dwayne Haskins gives him 150 targets this year. But where Kelvin Harmon went down for the year, they were expecting him to be their number two or three receiver. There's really no help here for Dwayne Haskins. And you're right. At some point, maybe if things start to go south, you need a veteran presence, which is I cannot believe Alex Smith is going to play football again on a real field in a real game. But maybe you do have to turn to that veteran presence. So I hate that I have to put Dwayne Haskins at five. But I mean, they're they're Sam Darnolding him already is what oh, they're doing. Man, and is that's that a, a verb? Is that a tough one? Yeah, oh. it's going to be now. It's going to be now. Well, who's going to get Sam Darnold? It, right. Can it, I <laughs> ask a draft on draft question to Connor? Who has more carries this year, Frank Gore or Le'Veon Bell? <laughs> Ouch. Oh man. No, it'll I, be Bell. It'll be Bell, but not by as much as it should be. I know that probably sounded problem. like a joke. It wasn't. Like I'm a huge no, Frank not. Gore fan and I'm just want like he's got No, he'll get he'll get a ton of carries. Because I, I mean, we talked about this on the Jets pod I do, Badlands. We knew they were gonna sign Frank Gore like months before it happened, because this is what Adam Gase does. And they didn't sign him to be a coach. Right. How long so, do you think Le'Veon Bell is in New York? This is the last year. That's what I think too. Yeah, no, this is the and last it, year. Like for him, like it probably should be. Like your coach hates you. You need to go to a better situation. I do feel badly here, for him. Neither of them will. This is their last year for both of them. Gase and Bell will be gone. Oh yeah, Joe's got to hire his own guy. Has to. But and uh, Lamichael Pirine's having a really good training camp. Yeah, I which heard might that surprise, as well. Surprises me. Yeah. Uh, Lamichael Pirine literally could be a starting running back in 2021 at What's this rate. Crazy is Frank Gore could pass Walter Payton. No, he needs two more years to pass Walter Payton. He's like don't 1400 yards behind him. He's 1400. Yeah. How don't crazy would it so be what, if Frank Gore hits up? Six, <laughs> he had 600 yards last year on 166 carries. So it could I bet happen. He, I bet he does the same thing this year. So then he needs one more year, two more years. Whatever. Oh, my God. He'll do it. He's number he'll just three all-time rushing. Number three with two surgically repaired knees. I was going to say, do you remember when he came out? It's like, this guy's never going to stay healthy in the NFL. Don't draft him. A lot of potential. Never going to stay healthy. I do remember when he came out because I had, like, I wasn't that far out of high school. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Oh, man. Frank Gore, one of my all-time favorites. Okay, that's our show. Thank you guys for hanging with us. Uh, hope you enjoyed the big boards. Hope you enjoyed the AFC South preview. And uh, don't forget, the first seven or eight minutes of the show were as important as anything else. So thank you, all of you that support us, all of you that love us and stand with us. Uh, let's, let's stick together and try to make this world a better place. For Mello and Connor, you guys have a great weekend. We'll be back with you Tuesday morning. 